Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast series for product management and product marketing professionals. I'm Lisa Sork Friedman, and I'm here with Rebecca Calajaris, Pragmatic Marketing's Vice President of Marketing. Today, we're going to talk about Pragmatic Marketing's 16th Annual Product Management and Marketing Survey. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks, Lisa. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you about this. Can you give us a quick overview of this year's survey? You know, things like how many people responded and what exactly we cover in the survey? Absolutely. So this year we were really excited because we had our most respondents ever. We had just over 2,500 respondents uh, and they represented 57 different countries, 45 different states. Um, So a a really good cross-section, I think, of the product population. And we asked them a variety of questions about their backgrounds and experiences, about their organizations, sort of the size of the organizations, the products they offered, how those organizations were structured. Um, we talked a lot, asked them a lot of questions about their responsibilities, um, what they were tasked with doing, what, what kind of things were underneath their responsibilities. Um, and then, then, of course, the challenges they faced in, in performing those tasks. And finally, the most uh, popular section of the survey, which a lot of people I know uh, kind of turn to first, we asked them about their compensation, both uh, salaries and bonuses. Mm-hmm. So Pragmatic Marketing has been doing this for 16 years. Have you noticed any changes? What's, what's changed in that time and what's remained the same? Absolutely. So yeah, if this is the 16th one that product, um, Pragmatic Marketing has done. It's my fifth uh, since I've been here. And it's fascinating to me how much has really stayed the same through time, um, you know, the, the sort of ratio of bonuses to salaries has been consistent, the sort of regional breakdown of salaries, what areas of the world and what areas of the country make more or less has been pretty consistent. We also consistently see people struggle with sort of the, the urgency of the tactical items, right? Really being stuck spending so much time uh, firefighting that they're not able to be as strategic as they want. That number has been uh, pretty consistent throughout the survey that they've been doing about 25% of their time on strategic activities and 75% on tactical. It's, 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 you know, it's gone a little up and down every year, but it's been fairly consistent. The other thing I see every single year, we ask the question, you know, if you had the chance to, to tell your CEO one thing, what would it be? And every year, uh, uh, the majority of the responses are really around focus, right? That the organization needs more focus. I need to know what you want me to focus on. We need to have a clear strategy to focus on. And that is is just a problem, again, that's been really consistent throughout the years. That being said, there are quite a few areas that do actually change. Um, We've seen a real shift in where product teams report. So in the very first survey we did, 50% of respondents reported to the marketing department, uh, 16% reported to development, and 7% to sales. In this year's survey, as instead of 50% reporting to marketing, only 13% did. Hmm. And I think that is a real reflection of, of two things. Um, the increase in the number of product management and product marketing departments as separate units, and then the increase in the number of those professionals who report directly up to the CEO. They have their own sort of seat at the executive uh, table. You know, we'll hear a chief product officer more and more. But that, that's a pretty sizable change. And another thing that we've seen uh, change over the years is, is sort of the, the ratio of product managers to other departments, right? So in our very first survey, there were 13 
developers for every product manager. And now over the last couple of years, that's been much more consistently in the five, five and a half to one range. And along with that kind of change, there's obviously been a real increase in certain other roles that just didn't exist or were in a much fewer existed um, back in the day, right? Things like a UX designers that we see very regularly today, product owners. Those, the, those roles, at least with those names and, and titles as separate functions, didn't really exist when we started uh, doing the survey. So that was, those are some of the, the new things. Huh. That's pretty interesting. So we've talked a little bit of maybe about new trends or how the, the marketing, how people are not really reporting into marketing anymore. Um, have you seen any other surprises? Well, um, another thing looking at some of the data sort of year over year was that the, the number of products that a product manager is responsible for now has greatly increased. Um, again, the, the first survey it was two, two and three the first few years, and now we're seeing an average of 10 products that a product manager is responsible for. And that's, that's a significant increase. Um, and, you know, there's I, lots of reasons that could be, could be about just the, the modularization of products. It could be the different ways people describe products, but that is a, a significant change. And another thing, well, well probably not surprising uh, to most of us in the tech space is, is just that if 54% of the companies that we talk to had a cloud or a SaaS kind of offering. And that um, and then that's a very solid trend. These were hardware companies that also had a cloud offering. These were software companies, which with maybe both kinds. But, you know, it's a word we hear all the time, so it's not necessarily surprising, but it is a consistent and it's a strong trend. Hmm. So did you see, um, did the survey identify any common characteristics of a product professional? Has yeah. that evolved over the years? You know, I, I didn't see a lot of evolution in that area, but it definitely has a, um, a constant theme, right? So these are people who may be new to the role of, of product management or product marketing, but they're definitely not new to business, right? They're joining these roles after being in a, in a business environment for 10 plus years. They've held things like product owner, uh, they've been technical developers, they've been in marketing communications. We had 18% of them, I'm sorry, 21% of them had been in sales roles before. Uh, that surprised me uh, in terms of just the amount. But so they, they come as seasoned professionals, though they may be new to this role. Um, they're also extremely well educated. We're talking 42% hold a master's degree or higher and 71% hold at least one professional accreditation or certification. So, um, you know, they both have the experience and sort of the street smarts gained from that as well as the, the, the educational background and chops. Um, and they combine that with a real technical uh, savvy, right? They may not be coders themselves, but they certainly understand technology. They're very comfortable speaking about it. They're very comfortable working with development or engineering groups and going back and forth and, and knowing when, you know, when they're getting played, perhaps, or, or, or being able to kind of sniff out the truth of that. And then lastly, because, you know, it's, it's a little disappointing still, it's still a majority male profession. We're seeing um, about 63% of all our respondents were male, which isn't a huge piece, but, but in certain regions, if you look at Europe or Asian uh, country respondents more closely, that, that gap is much bigger. Uh, when we looked at Europe, it was more like 75 to 25% uh, that, 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 that is still male. That is trending. The gap is, is getting smaller over the years, but not at a particularly rapid pace. Mm -hmm. Well, the description of the skill set these people have is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they're, they're a, a, 
it's why they can manage so wide yes. within the organization and do so many different roles, is they have a varied background and it's strong. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the findings that surprised me was that the respondents reported more than 562 distinct titles for product professionals. Yeah. I mean, that's a ton. Yes. And it's, you know, we, we often say here at Pragmatic Marketing, and it's true, that our titles are a mess in our industry. And it's one of the things that really makes this survey so hard to do. Um, it used to be that we would, we, would, we would say that there are product managers and there are product marketing managers, right? And those are titles that you definitely see versions of all over the place. So that the problem is that an organization that I work in may call a product manager, and that person may do exactly the role that your company calls a product marketing manager. There's just no consistency across that. And so when we saw that regularly with the people we teach, I saw that regularly on the market visits I went on, that I would go meet with, a, say, a VP of product marketing and think that I, this is what their domain is going to be and what they're going to be mostly responsible for. And instead, what they would be to me in my you know traditional hat would have been a VP of product marketing and management. And so... You really can't rely on those types of titles to stratify the results of the survey or in order to report on who made you more. You really have to take it down a level and mm -hmm. go, okay, titles are a mess, so what other attributes can I do to kind of define what area you find is your biggest area of responsibility, where you're focused? But there's just, you know, the titles, they get worse. You know, I remember when I first started five years ago, the, the survey was 264 unique titles. So we've almost doubled them. And there, I mean, some of them are, you know, very creative in their, you know, chief smile officer for products or whatever. I mean, some of them are a little bit out there. But even then, there's, you know, do I want to call it strategy? Do I want to talk about verticals? It's solution manager. There's just a big range. Wow. That's interesting that the, um, that it's almost doubled. Yeah. In five years. That's, yes. Whew. Well, one of the things you've mentioned earlier that people go to right away is compensation. So uh, what factors did the survey show had the biggest impact on compensation? Great question. All right, so there's a, a variety of factors um, that year over year seem to have a big impact on. And again, pretty consistently, what plays in here? The first one, which we alluded to earlier, was really geography, right? Mm -hmm. Australians, US, and, and some Western European countries tend to make the most um, throughout the world. And then if you break that down, if you look at the United States, for instance, the areas where you think of having really strong technology sections, right? The coast, uh, certainly California, the Northeast, those are definitely making a lot more than the Midwest, which tends to have the least highest uh, compensation pace. So you get some real regional stratifications of salary results. Type of organization they worked with, so size of organization. Um, if you, your organization makes 100 million plus, you're gonna make a lot more than if your organization is a startup, perhaps not making revenue anymore. Um, we saw uh, B2B tends to make more than B2C. That's pretty consistent year over year. This year's survey seemed to show uh, software as making more than hardware. Hmm. Um, but we dug into that pretty deeply uh, last year, because it's a hypothesis of ours, and that hadn't been the case. So with one year's data, I wouldn't necessarily say you will make more in software than hardware, but it will definitely be a trend that we look at um, over the next couple of years. And then um, years experience in in the role of product management or product marketing certainly has a big influence in how much you make. Years in your current role, though, does not affect it at all. 
So whether you've been in your role at two or five or seven as a group over, over the whole population, it didn't play a part in how much you made, but how long you'd been a product professional somewhere did. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's a, it's a pretty transient group. So they're moving, you know, uh, every two, two and a half years, and maybe that plays into it. But it was still a surprising piece. And then also how many people report to you and where your department reports to both have an impact on, on how much you make. Uh, if you have five or more people report to you, then you will on average make $28,000 more a year. And if your uh, department reports directly to a CEO or to its own group, then, then you will make more if you, than if you report to, say, through engineering overall. Um, and the final factor, which we looked at for the first time this year, was really soft skills, what we refer to as X factors, what kind of soft skills and how they would impact uh, how much you make. So uh, tell me a little bit more about those X factors. Sure. So the X factors is, it's actually um, a concept that one of our instructors, Paul Young, really delved into and kind of put around. There are just certain things. It's almost like the it factor for product teams, right? I mean, we've all met people who, um, who just seem to have it, who are you, you know are going to get ahead in business and you're going to get ahead in a company and you think, I may work for them someday. And what that is, is not generally their pedigree in terms of their education. It's maybe not how many years they've been. There's just something about it. And, you know, having taught for well over 20 years product teams around the world, you start to see some real patterns emerge of what those skills are. What, what is it that in, what seems to be intangibles that you find consistently in professionals that are rising through the ranks quickly. What is it that those people that we taught 20 years ago that are now CEOs or 10 years ago that are now in the C-suite? You know, what is those factors? What is it that made them excel? And Paul looked at a whole bunch of these. He identified like 37 different factors, but then he really keyed in on seven critical ones that, that we talk about a lot. And so I'll just run through those real quick. That would be, yeah, yeah, please. Okay, so um, one of them is truth to power. That's that, you know, when you have that uncomfortable, you know something, it's inconvenient, you know, the inconvenient truth, something that's not going to be a popular, but you need to let someone know. You know we're not going to hit our date, right? We did not get the results we expected from that very expensive campaign. And what, what is your um, tendency to do with that data, right? Is it to hide away um, so that you're not the shoot the messenger person in the front? Or is it, look, like, let's just say it, right? Let's go out and do it. And, and that's an important part of, of being able to speak up truthfully about your product and what you need. So truth to power is definitely one of those, those uh, X factors that we talk about. Another is synthesis. So particularly these days in the world of big data, we're getting data inputs from all over the place, right? And we are getting, uh, we're, talking, we're doing market visits, right? We're going out and we have all of this information and we really have to consolidate it down into a solid, convincing, tight story, right? You know, Paul talks about there's one thing if you can take all this data and make a 100-page business plan. It's another thing if you can make a 10-page business case that gets approved, right? It's that extra oomph and ability to take that imp- all of that information and make a cohesive story out of it. So that's a really big part of, uh, of how product teams get their business plans and their marketing plans approved is by being able to do that well. A pitch artist. So this is a skill that many people in our survey struggled with. Right. 22% of the respondents said that they had only a basic level or no skills in the pitch artist area. And pitch artist is kind of what it sounds like, right? How good are you at selling your ideas? 
How good are you at standing in front of your peers, your managers, and executives and selling them on your ideas and conclusions? Because it's one thing if I can do all the research in the world and identify what I know inherently in my heart is the right thing for our product to do or the right thing for our go-to-market plans, but if I can't convince my executives, I'm not going to get approval and I'm not going to get budget. And so it doesn't matter. So it's really important if I'm going to get ahead that I have the ability to pitch, that I have the ability to sell you on my vision and really move it forward. Um, an executive debater, uh, which is another, it's just actually the area where our respondents rated themselves the lowest level of skill, was an executive debater. So if truth to power is the willingness to go up in front and tell someone something that they may not want to hear, executive debater is the willingness to to push back maybe multiple times. So one of the things that personally I've always said when I was getting hired is part of what you pay me for is my experience and my opinion. So I will always give you my opinion. And if I feel passionate about it, I will certainly give it to you twice, right? Because that's part of my job, right? But it's 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 a it's it can be very uncomfortable to do. It can yes. be very hard to do in some organizations, particularly strong-willed people giving it, you know, back and forth and how you do it is important of course. Um, but it's critical, again, if you're going to be the president of your product, then you need to be able to stand up for it, uh, even when that isn't the most comfortable. And you need to be able to go back and forth um, and challenging the executive teams that you work with to help them see the what you have seen based on your experience. Uh, empathy. Now here, on the other hand, is a skill that our respondents rated themselves as very high. 52% of respondents rated themselves as having expert level skills in being empathetic. Um, and empathy is really um, the ability to understand someone else's thoughts or, or perspective without having to have been through it yourselves. And I think this is a really important skill for product teams, both in how we deal with um, our internal partners, right? How do, when I make a change to the product, do I think about how that's gonna affect customer support? If I move up the launch date a week, do I think about how that's going to affect development? I may or may not change what I do based on that, that understanding of empathy, but I will certainly be smarter about how I tell them about things, what I know I need to do to prepare them, all of those things. But that empathy really helps us understand our customers as well. When we have enough of an insight into our customers to really get, be able to be truly empathetic to them, then we, um, it, it helps a great deal when we're trying to build things for them and we're trying to stand in their shoes and figure out how they're gonna accept something. Um, we also, one of the, the six skill would be consensus builder. Um, so great products don't come from a force of personality, right? They require the whole organization to work together to deliver on this greatness. Um, but being consensus builder allows us to kind of clear the friction that goes on a team instead of and, and instead redirect all that energy that could easily go into fighting into mo moving the product forward faster. So it's not like I, you know you're not going to make everybody happy, but do I have the ability to work with this group and make them understand my my vision and work with me towards it? Because I will get infinitely further than that, um, and that really ties in quite well I think to the last one, which is inspire others, right? Can I get these people bought into my vision so that we're moving together? And this is so important for product teams because, you know, both product manager and product marketing manager have the term manager in their title. But often, 
they don't manage people, right? And if they do manage people, they certainly don't manage all the people that they need to move in order to, to get their goals met, right? They're not managing the UX people, the development people, if they're on the, you know, they've got a cross-launch team, they don't manage those people, but they need to inspire them. They need these people to want to work with them um, in order to accomplish anything, right? They have all of the, all what is it, all of the power known of the authority or, or whatever that saying is, <laughs> right? And that's a, a real consistent piece. So, so those are the seven, truth to power, synthesis, pitch artist, uh, executive debater, empathetic, consensus builder, and inspire others. The seven sort of X factors that we've identified as being um, important into to seeing a successful product person. And what we did in this year's survey was ask people how good they thought they were at each of those skills, how important they thought each of those skills was to, um, to their ability to succeed in their career, and how well rewarded that skill was within their organization. Um, because we really wanted to be able to look at that as sort of a gap analysis kind of idea, you know, the, the gap between how important it is and how good we are and, and where can we focus our own development and where can we focus, areas should we focus as an organization to help others. And then we also looked at those factors and as they related to the compensation people would make and as it related to the sort of organizational level they'd achieved, right? Were they an individual contributor? A department head or an executive and was there any correlation between that and their skill set at those seven items mm. boy those are great X factors yeah and really, it was yeah. yeah it was really interesting because the three that most definitely tied to the the money and sort of the level were the pitch artist executive debater and inspire others um, they were three times, or I'm sorry, they were twice as likely to be an executive if they had expert level skills in those three, and they were uh, they averaged 25% more uh, income. Wow! If they had expert level in those three, so you can do nothing else. Pay attention to no other <laughs> X factors. Go work on your pitch artist, your executive debater, and and your ability to inspire others. That's where a sales background could help. That's maybe why that 21% had that sales background. That's a really good point. I wonder if that's the same mm. person. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, those are things that probably are uh, true in a lot of professions, though, too, right? I mean. Oh, good communication yeah. skills. Yep. Yeah. You and I are very passionate about good communication skills. So, yes. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, what about uh, trends in how we see the future of product management? Absolutely. And uh, in this year's survey, for the first time, we asked respondents what they think the future of product management uh, looks like. And there were really three common trends that came up. One uh, was agile. Um, and certainly everyone here listening has, has heard a lot about agile. And, and this isn't agile in the sense of just uh, that development needs to be agile versus waterfall. This was really the idea that the whole organization to meet needed to be more agile, right? That we needed to take that concept of of iterative and uh, quick and the ability to, to go through change quickly and respond quickly needed to take root within across the organization because change is just too fast today um, to have any other process. I can't make a marketing plan in January and think it's remotely relevant in June <laughs> if I haven't looked at what's going on. It just moves to, you know, there's new uh, channels to go out to, there's new trends to follow, there's new competitors, there's new everything. And so that idea that Agile needed to really be built in on the, on the product side, uh, not just the development side. And, and that way of thinking was a, a definite trend. Another really uh, common one we heard was big data. 
uh, that just that, you know, tying into the synthesis idea of the X factor, that this, that there is so much data today. I mean, you, you look particularly at sort of the, the, the SaaS applications and they, there's just an almost infinite amount of data you can get about users and, and where they're going and, and being able to really leverage that data to make agile responses was where there was a ton of opportunity, right? Some data is great and data can be very overwhelming, right? Yes. So you can have some sort of paralysis, right? Data analysis paralysis because it's too much. I can't yeah. think. But being, but that the, uh, what they had said in the, in the survey, what I, I definitely um, agree with is that companies who can take this data and analyze it well, right, and can do that quickly are going to be able to set the pace of change, not just follow it. So I think there's that, that continues to be a big piece. Um, and the third one, which I hadn't expected, but really was a pretty consistent theme, was that there was a, uh, a thought that there would be a need for further stratification of the role, that there was just so many things that a product leader needed to do that it wasn't, um, no one was going to be able to do it, right? What we would consider the 37 boxes in our world and the stuff that even sits around that, that there was too much for one person and that you'd have people who would be not as equally good at all of those items, right? The companies would need some more than others and you'd have skill sets that required it. And so if you wanted to be really good at some of those areas, there's going to require a different level of expertise or specialization. And, you know, interesting as we're talking here, Lisa, maybe that is one of the reasons that we're seeing more and more titles is that is, in fact, mm. some of the stratification within there. Good point. Was there anything else in the uh, survey that, that surprised you or that we haven't touched on? You know, um, nothing that pops out. Really enjoyed uh, the superhero theme this year. I think product teams really are kind of superheroes, and it was a, it was a, fun, a fun way of uh, putting it out, and uh, we're looking forward to next year. I would absolutely um, encourage people, if you have questions you think that we should be asking or, or ways you love the data, I would love to hear that. Because oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be yes. great? Yes. Is that when we're building up the survey this fall, uh, we definitely welcome any ideas. Well, fascinating stuff, Rebecca. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I had a great time. Me too. You'll find the results of our 2016 product management and marketing survey on our website at pragmaticmarketing.com. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs>